The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Madam Speaker, you and I have uh, disagreed uh, politically on many things over the years, but we were never disagreeable to each other. And, Madam Speaker, I have to say, my girls told me, tell the Speaker how much we admire her. You've been incredibly effective as the leader of your caucus. You know, the younger generation today has a saying, game recognizes game. Former House Speaker John Boehner in a touching tribute to Nancy Pelosi. Mika is impressed by uh, John Boehner sobbing there at the unveiling of a portrait of Nancy uh, Pelosi yesterday. And I don't want to just bash Republicans every single show, but... I don't think I've seen someone cry like that at a funeral even. This is a famous Republican there with a famous Democrat. And what you're seeing together with Mika and all of the guests on the Mika show, what you're seeing is one big uniparty. They're all together. They're all the establishment. They're all the swamp. They're all deep in the deep state. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining our growing audience. You can get to the live video stream of this show at our website. That would be thetrumpet.com. Just go to thetrumpet.com forward slash live, and you can get to the stream. You can also get to our, uh, our podcast after the fact, and you can get the show, generally speaking, uh, downloaded to your device. So this was Boehner. He's not in Congress anymore, but uh, again... Going back a few years, he was the House Speaker. He was the leader of the Republican caucus there in uh, the House of Representatives. And there he is. He can't even control his emotion. He's just overcome with emotion. Just to, just to be in the presence of Nancy Pelosi, someone who's done so much damage to the country. And yet they revere these communist insurrectionists. All of the rhino Republicans, we've just got to try to get along and, and praise Nancy Pelosi. And, of course, they're all together in the uh, dump Trump movement as well. Boehner said this in that same speech you just saw a bit of. The fact of the matter is no other speaker of the House in the modern era, Republican or Democrat, has wielded the gavel with such authority or with such consistent results. I mean, that's a former House Speaker basically saying, Nancy Pelosi, you, you did it better than I did. You're better than me. I mean, you, you wielded more authority and, and brought more consistency to your position than even I did. I mean, this is unbelievable. What is wrong with these people? Why can't they see what's happening to the country? Why won't they stand up and do something to stop the bleeding? All it would take is 40 Republican senators 
to stop this omnibus monstrosity. Another $1.65 trillion. And evidently Mitch McConnell's just going to push it on through, or at least help the Democrats push it on through. You hear a few voices of protest, but we know, we, we've all seen it happen before. Thousands upon thousands of pages explaining all that we're going to spend money on. And no senator, no, no representative in the House taking the time to read it. Certainly not. Another $1.6 trillion. That'll certainly help the economy. I speak as a fool. Listen to this exchange. This is uh, one, at least one voice of protest. Rand Paul and I forget the interviewer, but clip eight. This, this brings upon us the lie that Republicans really are fiscally conservative. The Democrats aren't. They will not pretend to be fiscally conservative. Not one of them up here gives a darn about the debt. Republicans all profess to, but when you make them vote on the PAYGO resolution, pay-as-you-go, that we can't have new spending without offsetting it, they always vote to exempt it. So the omnibus will be 3,000 pages. We'll get it two hours before they want to pass it. No one will read it. But hidden in the 3,000 pages will be, we're going to waive PAYGO. 41 votes would stop the big spending. If 41 of us said no and held our ground until there was a compromise, we could force Democrats to reduce spending. We have completely and totally abdicated the power of the purse. Republicans are emasculated. They have no power, and they are unwilling to gain that power back. The GOP, I mean, what do Republicans stand for? You know, this has something to do with the disappointing midterm election results. Are Republicans reliable? We need lower spending. We need less government, etc. Where is the GOP? Why is this the, so hard? The only thing missing in that exchange is that it's Trump's fault. <laughs> Leave it to some of the more liberal commentators. I'm sure they'll insert that into this storyline. It seems like it, it fits into every single storyline or narrative. But there's Rand Paul saying the Republicans are emasculated. They have no power. They don't even need a majority to stop this monstrosity. They don't even need a, a, a they just need 40. And these are the same Republicans that, for the most part, are all in agreement that we've just got to dump Trump and then everything is solved. Problems are all solved in the United States. They continue hurting the country. They won't even stop the bleeding. They, they won't even try to curb runaway inflation. They, they don't even try. They don't even throw. Instead, they sob with emotion for praising Nancy Pelosi and some of the others that have done such great damage. This is from Red State, analyzing the, the money that goes into the Republican National uh, Committee how that it's being spent. And it's not even so much the, the dollar figures here as much as it is the things that they're putting their money toward. As we've covered on this show, coming up to the midterms, of course, they withheld money from candidates that Donald Trump, that Donald Trump would endorse. Here it says, despite Joe Biden's economy and three straight cycles of election losses, the RNCs, this is the Republican Party, the RNC's big spending days are back with a vengeance. Perhaps because of these losses, both RNC donors and committee members are intensely interested 
in the committee's finances, particularly the spending uh, or the spending. Late last week, Red State was provided a report dated October 7. It calculated more than 500000 spent in private jet expenses, 64000 at clothing retailers, and 321000 in floral arrangements. Further on, it says, for example, nearly 5000 spent in 2022 at Lulaman, a luxury athletic apparel brand, was classified as office expense, as were two expenditures totaling $9,300 at Madison Square Garden from uh, 2017. Nearly 400000 has been spent at event tickets and other entertainment activities, including 30000 for a private box at the Las Vegas Raiders game, 13000 for Broadway shows, 9400 at Madison Square Garden, and 43000 at top golf locations in Texas, Nevada, Virginia, and Maryland. So Rona McDaniel, the, the organization she's running, I mean, this is how they're spending their money. I mean, it's not just the occasional, okay, take a client out to a, a ball game. It's, it's bo- box suites. It's renting out space at these arenas or getting clothing apparel, whatever it is. This is the same Republican Party that wants to dump Trump. Trump, incidentally, wouldn't even take a presidential salary. He just gave it back to the, the government. He gave his salary back to the Treasury. And then you have these people milking the system for everything that they can get out of it. They're all the same, as I say. This is just money that's coming in from donors to the RNC. What about all the ones that are on the take from China, from Ukraine? You could, Zelensky's wife, by the way, she's on quite the spending spree in Paris right now. $40,000? That's some kind of spending when you're in the middle of a war. This world is about to explode in violence, as I said earlier this week. You know that we're in the last days. Perilous times have come, and like I said, you can single out one group or party after another. It's not even just the Republicans, but there is something about that, that party, in this, this uh, latest issue of the Trumpet magazine. For them to all reply in unison after the midterms, Trump's the problem. Trump's the problem. And then you see, you see clips like Boehner sobbing like a little baby because of how moved he is over the way Nancy, Nancy Pelosi wielded authority and got things done. Are, are they listening to themselves? Forty senators could step forward and stop the bleeding, but they won't. They won't, because in in their heart of hearts, too, they would sob like a little baby, admiring Nancy Pelosi and her efforts over the years. Those Democrats, they do do certainly come together. They They are, generally speaking, very unified in their hatred for the United States, in their hatred for the opposition, in their hatred for the Republican Party. This is uh, regarding SBF. They nabbed him just in time, didn't they? As I said earlier this week, he was just about to testify before Congress, and then the, the feds nabbed him, or they had the authorities in the Bahamas nab him, arrest him. How much money was he giving 
to Democrats, Republicans alike. Who knows? We'll probably never know. This is from Insider. It says, FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried made political contributions under other people's names, U.S. authorities allege. U.S. authorities allege that former FTX CEO and co-founder Sam Bankman-Fried violated multiple campaign finance laws, including by sending donations to politicians in the names of other persons. It says, the defendant and others known and others known and unknown, would and did knowingly and willfully make contributions to candidates for federal office, joint fundraising committees, and independent expenditure committees in the names of other persons, the indictment notes. According to the Federal Election Commission's website, contributions in the name of another are strictly prohibited. <laughs> so no wonder the feds had to intervene quickly before he would testify and perhaps reveal a little bit more about where the five billion went. People have just reported the 40 million that he contributed to donors. What about the way that he contributed to Democrats through other names? Or, or what about the way he contributed to super PACs? That's how they get around the limits on the contributions they can make to one uh, politician every year. They just give it by the millions. That's what Soros does. And all those races where Democrats outspent the Republican candidate, three to one, four to one, ten to one, how much of that money comes back to this fraud? It's looking more like this company he set up, FTX, was a fraud from the beginning. The Boston Globe says, Sam Bankman-Fried's lies, prosecutors say, stretched back to the very beginning. From the founding of his cryptocurrency exchange in 2019, Bankman-Fried engaged in widespread fraud, the federal authorities charged on Tuesday, and used his customers' deposits to finance his political activities, buy lavish real estate, and invest in other companies. So much fraud. So, except with the election in 2020, that was perfect. Everywhere else, you just see fraud and lies and deceit and cheating. And just for one moment in time, though, everything was so perfect. Uh, that's when we were able to dump Trump, by the way. It was perfect. It wasn't perfect. It was the most fraudulent election in U.S. history. 2020, and there was a fair bit of it just a few weeks ago. In the 2022 midterms, Carrie Lake was on with Tucker last night talking about her lawsuit, the one she filed last Friday. Here she is, clip one. Our voters were showing up on election day. That was no secret. And the minute the polls opened, the wheels fell off. The uh, ballot printers weren't working. There wasn't enough toner in the printers. The tabulators weren't working. It became a debacle. And the lines started forming right away. Some of the lines, three hours, four hours, five hours. And there's video of people walking out of line. People told us, and this is in our lawsuit, that they showed up. They couldn't even find parking because the Parking lots were full and the lines were long and many people didn't even get to vote. And those who did vote when they went up to, uh, you know, get the printer out, the printer didn't have toner in it, so the, uh, the ballots weren't dark enough. And our voters were showing up and voting three to one to, uh, on, for me on Election Day. We vote for a full month in Arizona with early ballots. And on Election Day, when the Republicans showed up, the election day voting was sabotaged, and that's what our case is going to prove. She evidently, she's got whistleblowers coming forward to say that it was, it was sabotaged, as she just said there. 
that there was malicious intent, intent behind it. She went on to say this with Tucker, clip two. The man who runs Maricopa County elections ran a pack. He actually started a pack raising thousands of dollars to defeat me, and he's running our elections. And then my opponent oversees all the elections in Arizona. It was a conflict of interest, and not only was Katie Hobbs working with big tech to censor people, the man who runs Maricopa County elections, they were also censoring people as well online. I don't, th I don't think anyone d denies that a lot of the voting machinery didn't work on election day. I mean, I don't think that's a controversial point that you're making an observation, but weren't they tested all the day before? They are supposed to be tested, but they, they weren't tested. They weren't tested in the appropriate way. And they didn't have the basics like toner in these machines. I mean, this is real basic stuff. It's not like we don't know when Election Day is. We can figure out when Election Day is from here to eternity. And they were not prepared. And we're, we will have uh, an expert testifying that this could not have happened by accident. There had to be malicious intent. It could not have been an accident. And, and here again, her opponent the one running for governor as the Democrat. She's the Secretary of State. She controls the election process in Arizona. She's responsible for the election. She's responsible for running the election that she's in. And then all this activity goes on. The sabotage goes on behind the scenes. Here's uh, one final exchange, clip three. We will be presenting a lot of evidence. We have four whistleblowers, one that worked for a company called Runback, who said there were 300,000 ballots inserted into the, uh, into the system that had no chain of custody. Others who were in the voter um, uh, signature verification department said tens of thousands of ballots were rejected because there were no signatures or scribbles, and they somehow got thrown in and counted anyways. There are a plethora of problems that went down in Maricopa County. And if somebody doesn't stand up and say, we can't have our elections being run this way, then we'll never have another fair election. I mean, 60 percent of the polling places on Election Day were inoperational or non-functioning. When do we stop and say enough is enough? Would it have to get to 80 percent, 90 percent, 100 percent? When do we say we need to have our elections run fair? If the talking heads in media were honest, given all of the irregularities, given all the evidence that she's putting forward in her, in her lawsuit, if they were fair, if they were honest, they would be all over this story. As it is, she has to, she's the only voice. And, you know, congratulations to Tucker for at least hearing her. But she has to go out and argue her own case, even in the media, if they'll even listen to her, if they'll even have her on. They're part of the problem. My father brings this out in America Under Attack. He says virtually all of America's top media organizations and personalities were complicit. He's talking about the 2020 election steal, the one where they dumped Trump illegally. The steal, the, the fix was in. They cover up Biden's laptop. They've got their mules ready. They've got all the machines ready to work, and maybe not all of them. They've got the glitches in place. The FBI, the FBI, DOJ, they're in constant contact with Twitter, with Google, with Facebook, the weekly meetings. And then you have the media. 
Virtually all of America's top media organizations and personalities were complicit, as well as the powerful tech companies and many of the nation's top politicians. I mean, we, we had this imprint before the Twitter files ever came along, before Elon ever bought Twitter. And now look at what's being exposed. Look at what's being exposed about the cover-up of Biden's crimes. This is uh, Dr. Kevin Roberts. He's at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, listen to what he says about the Biden crime family. Clip nine. So on the one hand, the president is spending billions of dollars on the Chips and Sciences Act uh, to compete with China. And then on the other, he now has a history of giving money to companies with ties to the Chinese Communist Party. Is that normal? Because that doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> No, it's, it's not normal at all. I mean, just in case someone's watching and wondering about that, it is completely unprecedented. It, it likely is towing the line of treason, a word that I, I don't use lightly. You know that at Heritage, we wouldn't say something like that if there weren't substance for it. And more and more people are saying this, even, as I said yesterday, James Comer in the House of Representatives. He's saying he's compromised. He's a, he's a compromised president, a fake one at that. And then you see, as I read on American Thinker today, who can forget the, uh, the video of him at that big gala celebration where Barack Obama showed up and they just surrounded Obama and he walked around aimlessly, Joe Biden. Nobody was even paying attention to him. He was in the toy store the other day. All these kids and moms walking by him as if he's invisible. He's the puppet. This is Barack Obama's third term. It's all discussed in America Under Attack. If you don't have a copy of that book yet, call our operators today. They are standing by. That's 1-866-930-3024. Skip ahead to number 11. This is Senator Ron Johnson on with Fox Business. Clip 11. Everything the Bidens have done is wrong. I mean, they're, they're grifters. They're a corrupt family. Uh, they've profited off of uh, the family name. So this has been obvious to me for years. It's actually been obvious to the mainstream media, but the mainstream me media wanted to defeat Donald Trump, so they, they decided to Joe Biden, and they covered up for him. But They covered up for Joe Biden. Johnson is pointing out the obvious. He's basically saying, look, we've all known this, that for decades they've been selling influence, and Hunter Biden is the bag man. He collects the cash. He didn't have any experience in that family business, but he was, in a way he was cut out for it perfectly, on, on with drugs, and he had the problem with all the hookers and the divorces and children all over the place. The perfect man to, to gather in money from crooks, and they gathered it in. They certainly did. He, he says, though, Senator Johnson says, the media knew this all along. But they covered it up. And now look at the Twitter files. It exposes the cover-up. And what's going to be done about it? This is from, uh, it's an excellent article, except there's just one topic missing. It's, uh, it's from uh, the Wall Street Journal, Holman Jenkins. He's talking about how that 2020 was the year of big lies. It says here, when 51 ex-intelligence officials uh, said the laptop's uh, emergence has all the classic hallmarks of a Russian information operation. They were lying. In the long history of Kremlin dirty tricks, 
There's no precedent for so implausible a caper. The officials couldn't even say clearly what they meant. Yeah, yeah, what do they mean by it's Russian disinformation? Well, how do you explain the laptop then? A real laptop had been stolen by the Russians and leaked to the press? A fake laptop had been created with thousands of uncannily real-looking documents, photos, videos, and emails? They didn't explain it any, in any way like that. They just said Russian disinformation. And then the media said, okay, we'll, we will suppress it then. If you say so, you 51 ex-intelligence officials, if you say it's Russian disinformation, then we'll blot it out. We'll censor it. And they did. They did. The New York Post produced not only a complete and sufficient account of how it obtained the laptop data, it produced a dated subpoena showing the, the FBI was already in possession of the original laptop for months and would know if the data were fake. The absurdity of the intelligence veterans' claim was so obvious, at the time even, it was obvious. The people who run America's major news outlets, at least those who aren't idiots, knew it. They knew it. It says here, so obvious was the lie that America's biggest news organizations have to remain silent now because of their own compl complicity. It's exactly what my father talks about in America Under Attack. It says, one question I think we can say is already resolved. Conclusively, the 51 former officials lied to the public with deliberation and premeditation to influence a presidential election, and the national press abetted them. So... You get, you get this. It's a pretty good art, article. It's hard-hitting. But what about the outright steal? Yeah, they, they influenced the election, for sure. The national press abetted them. But what about the fact that if it's stolen, it's got to be reversed. It's got to be overturned. This is Carrie Lake's argument with her lawsuit. They stole it. We'll see what a judge does with it. You see the, me the media, though, always, always, they're there covering it up. What about MSNBC coming out now and saying this border crisis, is, it's outrageous, and how come there's not a sense of urgency? MSNBC is now saying this. Where, where was this report six months ago? Where was it 12 months ago? Listen to this from MSNBC, clip seven. So they say they just do not have the resources to deal with this many migrants. And they say it's unsustainable and they expected the situation here to get even worse with a bigger migrant influx potentially next week as Title 42 uh, is lifted. What, what a just tragic humanitarian crisis. We just heard some of the horror stories that people face just when they get to Mexico and trying to get to the U.S. They're being kidnapped, starved, raped, extorted. That's just in Mexico. I'm just wondering, Anna, where is the urgency here? Where is the outrage that, that men, women, and children are going through hell? And it seems as though, unless there's some political aspect to this, there's no outrage. There, there's no focus. And soon, as of next week, unless there's court intervention, all migrants, no matter their nationality, will be able to cross and claim asylum. So we're really getting a preview mm -hmm. here of just how chaotic it could look across the border for all nationalities. We've seen predictions even higher than 10,000 per day crossing the border. To put that in perspective, Jay Johnson, former Homeland Security Secretary under Obama, has often said to you on Morning Joe, Mika, that 1,000 a day used to be a five-alarm fire for them. 
it's like they it's like that report su is suggesting that the the national crisis started just the day after midterms i guess this has been going on for two years msnbc finally sends a reporter down to the border bill malusian's been there for two years we've sounded the alarm he sounded the alarm a few people have every here again everyone knows the media know it's wide open and they know that the flood's about to become a massive avalanche here in just a couple of weeks when title 42 is lifted and that's it they're they're camping out near the border as it is waiting just waiting and then they're in the clear Virtually all of America's top media organizations and personalities were complicit. See, they didn't want to they didn't want to put out a report like that before the midterms because that could help that could help to hurt Democrats chances of getting elected. So now everything's settled. We know that the the one lesson to take away from midterms is that we'd, we, we we've just got to dump Trump now that that's established. Now, now that you've got Mitch McConnell out there saying we've got to get better candidates. And I assume more like uh, like what Pelosi likes, because he would probably be sobbing like a baby for Pelosi, too. If they were at their retirement party together. The Uniparty, <laughs> my father says in AUA, mainstream media executives were complicit in the lawless plot. He's talking about the Steele dossier. They continually gave credibility to this nonsense. This explosive information further exposed the treason committed by top Democrats, yet the mainstream press ignored it. That is shameful complicity with these crimes that are destroying our constitutional republic. How refreshing it would be if someone gets up at an unveiling of a portrait in the halls of Congress and says, look, this country is being destroyed. The Constitution is being shredded. The only one that has the courage to say that is Donald Trump. That's why they hate him. That's why they have to destroy him. I mean, look, this is a big party. You know, all of the spending from the RNC, it kind of brings uh, new meaning to the word Republican Party because it's a big party for them. Just spending money on apparel and sports, sports events, concerts, lining their pockets from SBF, the Chinese, neither side. Republican or Democrat want to see the party come to an end, just keep spending and then force on through the 1.6 trillion and then we'll head off to Christmas break and everyone's happy. The country's being destroyed. These are nation destroying crises. AUA says this is about this is about going from great freedom to the worst kind of tyranny. But in far too many cases, these newsmakers are complicit. Why aren't the media sounding the alarm about what is happening? Because they too are deeply complicit in this, this treasonous activity. They're all in on the plot. Again, this is exposed in America under attack. Finally, my father says, what else could possibly explain an investigation into zero evidence of something that did not happen? The complicity, he's talking about the, the fraudulent Mueller investigation. I mean, Satan's been cast down and the demons are confined to this earth. And only this church has been telling you about that demonic activity that's been going on. They've wreaked havoc over the centuries. In, in one instance, in Acts 8, 
Philip and some of the others, the disciples, went down to Samaria or up to Samaria. And it says that this Simon, Simon Magus, he had bewitched the whole area. There was that much demonic activity. If those demons were doing that 2,000 years ago, what are they capable of doing today? What are they involved in today? Well, you see their fingerprints on just about everything. It says, what else could possibly explain an investigation into zero evidence of something that did not happen? The complicity among the political class, including Democrats, Republicans, the news media, and others, is far deeper than Americans realize. The complicity, the collusion between all these parties. That's why that opening clip was so revealing. You know, John Boehner just heaving. He's sobbing so hard over Nancy Pelosi, and she hasn't even died yet. So this is a tribute because they're unveiling a picture of her. And he's sobbing like a baby. The complicity among the political class, including Democrats, Republicans, the news media, and others, is far deeper than Americans realize. The amount of power, money, influence, technology, and intimidation they wield is staggering. It says, all this was covered up by media outlets. They were complicit in the fraud. They always are. They always are. America under attack. The 800 number, if you haven't requested your free copy just yet, 1-866-930-3024. And don't forget, if you don't subscribe to the Trumpet Magazine, make sure that you ask for a free one-year subscription to the Trumpet Magazine. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We'll be right back. The Trumpet Daily. What has happened to the United States of America? The wealthiest, most powerful nation in human history is suddenly divided, weakened, radical. The evil in America has grown powerful. The good has grown weak. The honorable parts of American history are succumbing to a direct, targeted, sustained assault. Someone, something is dismantling America's history, purpose, and character. Fundamentally transforming the United States of America. Political dysfunction, social strife, economic peril, catastrophic moral failure, fires, attacks, riots, lies. The nation is being attacked from within by its own leaders. Powerful elites in government, journalism, academia, and beyond are intentionally, rapidly destroying what America is in order to make it into something else. There is a reason why your nation is crumbling before your eyes. There is a spirit and a specific perpetrator that is attempting to blot out America. Only America Under Attack reveals that perpetrator and the motive and spirit behind him. This newly expanded book shows you the reason why America has changed so dramatically, so suddenly. If you're confused and concerned about what is happening to America, request your free copy of America Under Attack by Gerald Flurry at thetrumpet.com. The Trumpet Daily. 
In the world of traditional Christianity, particularly at this time of year, Jesus Christ is represented as a helpless baby, a helpless little baby in a manger. And uh, of course, the mother in this, uh, in this relationship, she's glorified even ahead of Jesus Christ. That's the way the world sees Jesus. They don't see Jesus Christ as alive and powerful. And yet he is. I said in the close of the last segment, those demons and what they're doing 2,000 years on from when they just had so many people possessed in the, the land of Samaria, there in Acts 8. Well, what about that 2,000-year period between Jesus Christ's resurrection and today? What has Christ been doing? What is he up to? The scriptures bring out that he's at the right hand of God. Jesus Christ is alive. We've been going through 1st and 2nd Corinthians in uh, the epistles of Paul class. I want to start in 2nd Corinthians 13 and just see how Paul concludes this second letter, this second epistle to the brethren in Achaia in and around Corinth back in the first century. He says about Christ in verse 4, for though he was crucified through weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. I mean, he came, what a step down. Philippians uh, 2 goes into this in great detail. I mean, he was right up at the Godhead level. He was the Word. And then he came in the flesh, God in the flesh. He was flesh and blood like you and me. He uh, was 100% flesh and blood. He had the Spirit of God without measure, of course. But this is how he knows he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And so he knows how to sympathize, how to empathize, how to help, how to support, how to encourage. The Bible speaks of him as being an apostle. It speaks of him as being an advocate, an intercessor. It speaks of him as being the head of the church at the right hand of God, as I said, up on God's throne room. And of course, he's God's son. Soon that son is going to marry the church, and that union is going to be established in Jerusalem and all over the earth. A new world, crucified through weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. This is verse 4. For we are also weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. And then the memory verse, the next verse, verse 5, it says, Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates? Who speaks of this? Who talks about this, this kind of an examination? Christ lives in you. If you're a true Christian... Jesus is living in you. How does he live? Well, Herbert Armstrong used to say he's, he's there to live the same way that he lived in his earthly ministry. To, to lead us on unto perfection. Hebrews 12 brings this out. Matthew 5, 48, obviously. We're to become perfect like our Father in heaven. Jesus is there to show us the way. We're to walk in his steps. He is coming again in the flesh. That's 1 John 4 and verse 2. But here's Paul describing where our real strength resides. 
It is in God's power. It is in the power of God by which Jesus Christ lives again in our flesh. And so examine yourself, says Paul, whether you're really in the faith. Prove it. Don't you know that Jesus Christ is in you? This is all part of the examination. Christ in you. Colossians 1 says that this is a great mystery to this world. It's a, it's a great mystery to the world of traditional Christianity. Christ in you? And yet you go all through the New Testament. I think that that phrase appears something like 75 or 80 times. Christ in you. And you see it a lot in, uh, in Paul's writings or I think the exact phrase is, in Christ. Just switch back to chapter 12. This is a, a page earlier, 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 2, where Paul says, I know a man in Christ. He's talking about himself there in the third person, and I won't take the time to go into all the detail of that incredible revelation that he had, that vision that he experienced that was so realistic it was as if he was right there in the third heaven with God and Jesus Christ. But just before he gets into that account, he says, I know a man in Christ. Paul lived in Christ. That's why Paul was so dynamic. That's why Paul was able to face down so many trials. You can read that in 2 Corinthians 11. I guess we're just backtracking chapter by chapter. But here he was stoned, he was left for dead, he was beaten with rods, he was locked in prison. He was out in the deep, in the day and the night, hanging on hopefully some kind of life preserver, shipwrecked. How did he do all that? How, how was he able to face all of that and, and not just throw in the towel and give up? He was in the, the arena with wild animals. Paul had Jesus Christ living in him. How did Christ have the strength and the power to face the worst persecution, particularly there at the end? Scourged, beaten, to the point where you couldn't even recognize who he was? That's Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53, and then, of course, he's crucified. He was close to God that night before his crucifixion. Remember, he prayed for hours and hours. He even asked his disciples, can you pray with me for a time? But they were too weary. They just fell asleep. As Christ kept pouring his heart into his prayers, Paul here, to the brethren at Corinth, he says, I know a man in Christ. Paul, I mean, to, to Paul, Jesus Christ was not dead. He was not a helpless little, little baby in a manger. He, he was not hanging dead on the stake either. Yes, he was crucified. Yes, he was crucified in weakness, as chapter 13 brings out. But he lives by the power of God, and so must we. Notice Matthew 16. This is obviously not Paul's writing here. It's from the Gospels. But in Matthew 16 and verse 15, it says, He says unto them, But whom say you that I am? This is Jesus 
talking to his disciples, it says, And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The living God. God lives. Jesus Christ lives. Verse 17, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto you, that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus said, I will. And now that happened after his death and resurrection. He was resurrected to life. Remember he told the disciples to tarry there in Jerusalem until the, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the power of God. And, and then the work would go out and expand and grow. And then Jesus Christ could build the church through the first fruits, through the saints, through a little flock. A little flock that has for 2,000 years been persecuted and scattered. And yet there has been a continuous line or flow in the life of the church all the way through from that first century 31 A.D. all the way through to today. But look at, how, look at how hard at work Satan and the demons have been to just blot out the truth and to lead people astray. Most of God's people in this last era of the church have fallen away from the truth. Nearly all of the ministers, they just capitulate. They're, they're like rhinos. They surrender. They sob over some of the, you know, some of the big-time satanic players that are out there. Let's just compromise. Let's just sit down, have a nice cup of coffee with the devil. That's the way so many of them think. God says, fight against these, these demonic movements. Stand up like Jesus Christ would. I know a man, Paul said, in Christ. This is from the Sabbath booklet. You can call our operators and request a free copy of this at your leisure as well. It says, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Jesus Christ lives today. Why then is Christ pictured either as a helpless babe in his mother's arms, glorifying the mother even ahead of Christ, or else hanging dead on a cross? It says, Jesus Christ is alive today. For more than 1900 years, he has been the living head and high priest of the true church, which he built. This is the awesome being that Paul lived in. Paul was a disciple of, of Christ. Paul was a disciple that Jesus lived in. I know a man in Christ. This is a great, great mystery. Christ in you. Notice Acts 17. This is uh, Paul in the exchange that he had with the Athenians. Verse 27 says that they should seek the eternal if happily they might feel after him and find him though he be not far from every one of us. It's a wonderful passage here. I love verse 28 where it says, For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. We're children. We're God's children. And in Christ we live, we move, we have our being. We're not strong enough of and by ourselves to overcome sin 
and to live unto God, as Galatians 2.19 says. But with Christ in you, all things are possible. Jesus said this to the disciples, essentially, in, in Matthew 19. He says, with men it's impossible, but with God, if it's in God, if it's in Christ, everything's possible. As I say, in Christ, it appears 77 times in the Bible, and quite a few of them are in Paul's writings. I'll give you a, a bunch of them here. Romans 8, in verse 1, it says, There is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Romans 9, in verse 1, I say a truth in Christ. Paul says, I'm here to give you the truth, and just, just so that you know, this is the word of God. Uh, the words I'm giving you, the truth I give to you, in Christ. It's in Christ. Romans 12, 5, it says, we are one body in Christ. And, of course, you can see that body described perfectly in 1 Corinthians 12. There's just the one body of Christ. He's at the head. He's heading up the operation. He's guiding and directing the church. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 10, it says, We are wise in Christ. That's where our wisdom comes from. It comes from God the Father and Christ the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 22, it says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Read through Romans 8 sometime. You see how that that spirit it quickens us. It, it gives us life, and it's leading right to the resurrection and to God's family. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14, it says, Now thanks be to God, which also, or always, causes us to triumph in Christ. You know where each of these verses are going. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. If you're a man or a woman in Christ, then that's a new creation. God is reproducing himself. God is reproducing his character, his nature in us. Ephesians 2 and verse 10 says that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12, it says, All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Just, you can just expect it. If you're living in Christ, you're going to be made a target. The devil's going to be seeking after you to destroy you. It says, finally, Philippians or Philemon 1 and verse 23, my fellow helper in Christ Jesus. And then I love this one, Philippians 4 and verse 21, where it says, salute every saint in Christ Jesus. I mean, even in your greetings, bring Christ into it. Bring Jesus Christ into the middle of it. He's not, he's not a helpless little baby in a manger. He's not dead and just hanging on a, a tree. He's alive. He has been for 2,000 years. I know a man, Paul said, in Christ. Notice Hebrews 12. If you have your Bible, you can turn over there and read through these two verses with me. I said, there's just so many passages that we could go to on on this uh, subject, but look, you if you just pick one example, there's many of them in the Bible, of course, but the reason that the Apostle Paul 
this man in Christ, the reason he was so spiritually minded, the reason he could muster up the courage and the boldness that he needed to face fiery persecution, the reason he could speak so powerfully, so persuasively, he wrote, obviously, powerful letters, and the reason he could be so merciful, so gracious and loving, so wise and discerning, so passionate, so zealous, so unselfish, so service-oriented. It's all because Christ lived in him. It was the character of God, not his own. Hebrews 2, 12, sorry, verse 1, it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Set aside those weights, those sins that slow you down. Just move on from that sinful past and follow, follow God. Notice how we do it. Verse 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Is it really possible that he for joy endured the cross? It says, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's where he is today, at God's throne, at God's right hand. Jesus Christ is alive. And we can thank God for that because he's the one that has to deliver us as these two verses bring out, we're looking to Jesus Christ. He'll lead us right into God's family. This is something Mr. Armstrong, Herbert Armstrong wrote back in uh, 1980. He says, If some of you brethren try to solve your own problems or overcome your bad habits or resist sin and nothing more than your own power and strength, you too will find yourself outnumbered, overpowered, and doomed to defeat. It can't be by our own strength and might. Zechariah 4 brings this out as well. It's got to be by God's power and strength. It's got to be through Jesus Christ. I know a man, said Paul, in Christ. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is The Trumpet Daily. If you'd like to email the show, you can reach us at td at the trumpet. Dot com. We thank you for joining us on today's program, and we'll see you tomorrow.